Welcome to Cuckoo Bananas, the Tiger King recap show for season one, episode one, titled Not Your Average Show. My name is Lori Roggenkamp, and I am joined by Not Your Average Show, Joe the Pants. <laughs> hey, all you cool cats and kittens. So we are finally doing it. Yay. Yay. How do you feel? How do you feel about uh, recapping the show? My honest answer is, I feel we're just doing this for Humble Pie. I think we're doing it for more, but I will say that I did, I did watch, rewatch it, and I was like, oh, this is crazier than what I thought it was. Like, I think it's because I had to take notes, Yeah. but I was like, oh my god, there's so much shit. There were definitely some new revelations for me when I watched, because you don't realize how much they tell you in that first episode. Yeah, about what's gonna happen? And like, yeah. there are people like, oh, that's the guy who was later this and da 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 da. da. When see, when you rewatch it, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, well, let's let's get into it. It's so... weird being on a show where you're the lead, which I have no problem with it. It's just sort of like if I was the top and you were the bottom, that now we switched and I'm the bottom Oof. and you're the top, and you've put on a giant strap on. I don't want to imagine. Either scenario. And I'm like, Lori, oh, fuck. Yeah, Lori, just stay in. Yeah. uh, Oh, Lori, yes. I ate pickles too close to doing this show, and now I'm regretting it. (laughs) Ooh. Um, Why? I imagine it would be, uh, sex with us would be like us doing this podcast, where it's like, we're like, okay, we'll do it, but I think we're doing this for somebody else. You know? Like... (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I either be, of us are going to yeah, enjoy it. I, I'll be honest with you. I sort of feel like the Tiger King train has come and gone, and it sort of feels anticlimactic. But there's a part of me that thinks, okay, well, this is for posterity. And yeah. Because Humble Pie won't leave us the fuck alone about it. Yeah, and, and also it's like she does so much. So if we have to create a podcast that's just for her, then I'm fine with that. Here's the problem so. with you saying that, Lori. I feel when you say that, now you're giving her a license. Now she can just def- de- define when we do shows. Well, it's just this one show. Okay. So, yeah, you hear me? You know, yeah, well, I hear you. Speaking of Joe Exotic, I've had a lot of conversation. I actually had a deep conversation yesterday with a friend about, and also speaking of Cuckoo Bananas, certain people who just... um uh support us you know now and what's funny is before anyone gets offended i was talking what the conclusion i came to it's weird that my camera's not on i don't know why it's not on but it's not on i see Uh, you oh you do oh good okay uh is what i what what's funny is in talking about this with a friend is you know we have hundreds and hundreds of patreon supporters and that's fantastic right and when you when I really think about it, you know, let's say there's a thousand Patreon supporters, okay? Yeah. Nine hundred and fifty of them I never hear from, or if I do, it's just like, hey, you're doing a good job, and then that's it, right? We have a very normal creator patron relationship, and then there's about fifty of that thousand. Who take up every single bit of my time and energy? Yeah, and but isn't work. that like everything? Yeah, though? that's a, that's what we were figuring out. Because my friend had used to give uh, guided tours, and he was saying, you know, he had he had a, he had he called it the ten eighty ten rule, where ten percent of his people he gave tours to were rad, and he wanted to be their friends in real life and whatever. Then eighty percent were just normal. They come in. They're perfectly reasonable people, and you just never think about them again. And then 10% of them were absolute assholes and drove him crazy. Yeah. And so. Um, but, I mean, I'm always shocked with your listeners because, like, you'll bring one somebody on and they'll be like, oh, I'm, like, 
you know, I'm part of the team that solves the cure is solving the cure for cancer. Yeah. But I also love your podcast. You know, yeah. it's like, how, how yeah, are you yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. No, don't get me we have amazing listeners and whatnot. But they have like such cool jobs, such cool histories. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, and then also they listen to the podcast. Yeah. So that's the vast majority of them, the vast majority of them. Right. But then you have some who are, that that's the problem. Is there these? I love how this turned right from the the Tiger King show to the uh, a Joe bitching about things. But then you have a few. Like there was one the other day who I was just like, I don't want you. I don't want you to support me. I want you gone. You know, I don't feel comfortable around you. Oh, who was it? Oh, we don't. You don't know about this? No. Oh, we didn't talk yesterday. Oh, I'll tell you off the air. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's somebody that you would know. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another and, Joe blocks somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, the difference is with this one, yes, there was a straw that broke the camel's back, but I had been, it had been brewing in my brain for a while. This was not one where I had uh, any regrets or it was out of anger. Like, there was something that like, was like, okay, that you're done, but I had been sort of not pleased with this person for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, talking welcome about to not being pleased. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> welcome to Cuckoo Banana. Talk about people who are not pleased. Uh, let's get into the yeah. first episode. So we're going to be doing episode by episode. There are mm-hmm. seven episodes total. There's also a bonus episode, which we haven't decided if we're going to be doing. But for right now, we're going to say that we're going to be sticking to the seven original episodes. Sure. So this first episode, I'm going to give like a general overall summary. Okay. Uh, the so in this episode we meet the main players who are Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin. That to me I feel like are the main players. Mm-hmm. There are some uh, torrent like uh, side players that are introduced, but those are the main players. We meet we uh, find out who are the people, some of the people who work and are important to Joe, and then some of the people who people who are important to Carol. Uh, we see the beginning of the feud between Joe and Carol, as well as the trials and tribulations of running an exotic pet animal park. Mm-hmm. So that's my general analysis of the first episode. Sure. So I kind of love how the first episode begins. I don't know how you feel about it, because I feel like it sort of tells you up front what the show is going to be about. I mean, mm-hmm. even the guy, that guy, Rick Kirk, who's the producer of Joe Exotic TV. Yeah. He ex- says in the beginning, he says, uh, as for, who referring to Carol Baskin, she wanted him dead, or sorry, she wanted to shut down his zoo, he wanted her gone. Yeah. So that's basically the, the summary of the entire show, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I also like, there's a guy on there who I didn't get his name. Isn't it weird, but, though, that episode three, he wanted her gone and she wanted him dead? But I don't, oh, want, I don't want to tip my hand here. No. No, that's not the case. Mm. So uh, there's a guy in the sh- in the beginning who you'll see we'll meet him later on, but he looks like I wrote down he looks like if Baby Yoda grew up to be a fat white man. Uh, he he basically classifies different animal people. Mm-hmm. He says that the monkey people are a little bit different, but the big cat people are backstabbing pieces of shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is so funny. Yeah, he doesn't become important until much later in the yeah. show. That's what's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really hear from him after that. So we find out in the beginning as well that there are more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are in the wild, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So I've I've divided up this this first episode into four parts. Okay. So the first part is we see how the documentarian came to focus on Joe Exotic. Mm-hmm. We find out how GW Zoo was started and meet some of the main, main people who work there. Yeah. And then we also meet Carol Baskin and find out about her love of cats. Mm-hmm. So that's part one, in my opinion. Okay. So I think it, what I find interesting is, and I haven't looked into it. Have you found out? Did, do you know if the guy, cause he, the documentarian says that five years ago he was doing a documentary on, this guy who sells reptiles. Mm-hmm. And then he, the reason why he became interested in, in Joe exotic was that he met one of the customers of this reptile guy was like, Hey, come see this new thing I got. And it mm-hmm. was a snow leopard. Yeah. And the, and the documentarian was like, and it was in Florida. 
And the documentary was like, how did this guy get a snow leopard in Florida in the back of his van? Mm-hmm. And through a series, like they don't really necessarily like explain like the full line, but basically then he kind of got in touch with Joe exotic and then they started yeah. that. So I wonder if there's ever going to be a documentary documentary about the, um, the guy who owned the snakes. It's so wonder if I the- wrote that in my notes. I was like, whatever with the guy with the snakes, I want to see that world now. Yeah, I wonder if the guy with the snakes is like, hey. <laughs> Listen, I got some weird shit, too. Yeah, like, hey, like, was, like, calling him and be like, hey, man, well, when are we going to pick up that documentary? Yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. I got a, I got a giant snake. Yeah, because it, it, that's, that would be what I would want to ask the documentary filmmaker in an interview is, okay, so, A, you're right. What happened to that footage? Like, what's yeah. going on with that? I want to see what that world is like. That's still an interesting topic. B, question number two, how did, because we never get that. How does it go from meeting this guy to Joe Exotic? I think I read somewhere that that the snow leopard came from somebody who also deals with Joe Exotic. That's what I read, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. I'm sure somebody else has an answer. Mm -hmm. But But then also, part three, question number three is why how come and this is a weird one why wasn't that just folded into the documentary about this how did he go like i'm abandoning the snake thing and i'm going with the joe exotic thing i think it was he wanted to focus on big cat because i think snakes i mean snakes are dangerous Mm -hmm. but this was more uh a big exotic cat or big animal stuff like this was something you want to focus on Mm -hmm. Because as we'll find out in the first episode, he does kind of drop some facts about like, you know, um, that, you know, the U.S. has the like, I don't think he realized how prolific big cat uh, buying was in the United States. And so I think this is something that piqued his interest. Yeah. Probably because, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, the guy, the guy when we first see the guy videotaping, he's sort of in like, it's like a really, it's like a ramshackle shed where he's keeping these snakes and Joe and doc and all that have like these giant acres. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they were like, well, this is more expansive, you know, mm-hmm. but we don't, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he was just like, maybe something happened. He was just like, yeah, we, we didn't he, end he up doing it. it for five years. And we know it, the, the documentary does span those five years, five yeah. years of his life on this. Like, what yeah. do you think? Like, well, that's what happens with the, we later learn with the guy who is in the cowboy hat that worked for current affair or was it current affair he worked for. And, um, he, uh, he was going to do a TV show with, uh, Joe exotic. Like there's something about him that people go like, I'm going to invest major parts of my life on this guy. And for some people it works out. Some people it doesn't, but uh, I don't even feel like with anybody it worked out. Well, no, the documentary (laughs) filmmaker, this was a big hit. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, but I don't think they necessarily were working with him. I think they were, I, I mean, the best way I could describe is they were working at him. They were film, you know, I mean, he let them in, but they sort of were doing their own thing. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the rules they had were and whatnot. But so here are some interesting things yeah. about. So the first time we, we meet Joe, he's actually getting a, a collect call. He's already in the Grady County Jail in Chickasaw, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. He says at the time that he could face seventy nine years in prison, which mm-hmm. I kind of feel like is a little exaggerated. But I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. he could. But um, he. So his his exotic park is called the Greater Winniewood Exotic Park, or GW Zoo for short. Yeah. And it's located in Winniewood, Oklahoma. Now, in the beginning, he says that he has 187 big cats. But then when he's later interviewed in the in later time, he says that he has like over 200 big cats. Yeah, so he must have gotten big ca- more big cats. What, sorry? I think it, it was over five years, so maybe he did get some more. But you know... Could we learn it's a big problem because the baby tigers turn into big tigers? Yes. So one of the things that struck me when I was re-watching it, and I guess it just missed me the first time, is how big his zoo is. Because yeah. they show a map, how it grew from one thing to another, and there's a graphic that shows. And I don't think you ever get the sense in the documentary of how big the zoo is. And it started in 1999, 
which I don't know why, but like, there's just something I find fascinating about something that's like a big deal somewhere else that I have no idea about that. I had like zero idea that it existed. So to me, it's like this started in 1999 and it's grown immensely and people come from all over. And I had zero idea that it existed. Mm -hmm. That to me is just like, it's just so funny that it's such a, it's a small world and it's also a big world that this could have this, exotic park could exist two ex- many exotic parks mm-hmm. and you know it doesn't it doesn't really reach across as much as you would think but it's still very popular but yeah i mean mm-hmm. that's the thing that i find so fascinating is that you look at gw zoo and that's huge mm-hmm. but it's a drop in the bucket compared to doc ansel's place and uh carol baskin's place yeah which her place is called Big Tiger Rescue? Is that what it's called? Uh, I believe so. I think it's called I could be uh, the Big Cat Rescue. Oh, Big Cat Rescue. The reason I, I asked that is because, going what you said, you know, I sent a. Because Big Cat Rescue is in the same general area that Taylor the Volante Boy lives. And if you listen to his show, Pod is My Co Pilot, you find out that his co host on there, Taffy Carlisle Huffington, uh, knew the man that Carol Baskin murdered her 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 ex husband. She, she didn't murder him. He she knew the man that Carol Baskin murdered. Did and, not murder him. And so that came up on an episode. By the way, um, Taffy, just so you know, never weighs in on uh, whether Carol murdered him or whatnot. Okay. Oh, I, I don't know what her opinion is on that. Anyway. Uh, but she knew him because her her mother was friends with him, okay, and she's met him. Uh, and so I said, well, I wonder if, if this is in the same area. I wonder if Taylor's met. I mean, been to Big Cat Rescue. It seems like it's a big deal in, the, in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. And I sent a text message to Taylor, but he's like, he's snippy with me. He's like, no, I've never been there. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I, what about I go? What about Taffy? He goes, let me ask her. And he goes, no, she's never been there. And I, I think there's a legitimate question. I so I go, I said, how weird that something like this is in your backyard and you don't go. And he's like, first of all, it's not in my backyard. I, said, I don't know why he was so snippy with me. And then he goes, two. And then this is actually a very valid explanation. I'm sure he wasn't snippy with you, but okay, we'll we'll go with your interpretation. So then the part two, but this does make a lot of sense. He points out that he hasn't been because there are so many little theme parks like this in Florida, especially between where he lives and Disney World. Yeah. That there no one could ever go to all these things. There's a ton of these little weird side roadshow things. He thinks that people either who are already there for vacation to Disney World go there or they're poor and they want to go somewhere, but, you know, they can't afford only certain things. But, uh, yeah, he said that they, this, there are so many little things like this park that um, he just doesn't go to. Yeah. You can't swing a dead cat around without hitting a, a tiny theme park in Florida. Is that true? Yeah. And it's uh-huh. pretty – I mean, I have family who live there, and they said that it's like – there's like a bunch of different places all over the place. Mm-hmm. So – and sometimes things will pop up for like seasonal because, you know, amusement park stuff is mostly seasonal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, you know, like those Halloween shops that like pop up just right, right like in September or mm-hmm. August. Yeah. Then they close. That's kind of like what happens there. They, well, I don't know if said. you remember, there used to be a little tiny theme park in the mountains around here called Santa's Village. And that was yeah. seasonal. That would be like only from like September through the winter. Did you see the, ever see the commercials for Santa's Village? They were crazy. They were so creepy to me. Let me I'm going to see if I can pull it up. It was so, I was always like, I always got nightmares about yeah, Santa's Village. Because I felt like, oh, that's kid, children will die there. I never went there. Did you ever go there? I had a cousin who would go there all the time. I think we did go. I don't know if it was Santa's Village, but it was one. It was some place where there was man-made snow. And they had like a Santa carriage where he would like take the reindeer. Uh-huh. And we would go, not every year, but I think we went a couple of years to like, uh-huh. um, 
to take pictures and stuff. Okay, here's a commercial from 1984 for Santa's Village. Here we go. You can visit Santa in the wintertime because right now he's at Santa's Village in the San Bernardino Mountains. Twelve big rides provide fun for the whole family. Visit the petting zoo. See Santa's reindeer. There's food and treats from the Pixie Pantry and the Good Witch's Bakery and lots more. Santa's Village is fun, forest, and fantasy all rolled into one. Santa's Village in the colorful San Bernardino Mountains on Highway 18, just 30 minutes north of San Bernardino. Now open weekends and totally remember that and i just remember it being like an empty like it looked been. like an what sorry i've never been no the commercial they would show like an empty village where it was mm-hmm. like all dressed like it was all like cottages and stuff and then it would just be like like santa would be there waving mm-hmm. or something and i'd be like oh he's children are dying there like I just had a intense fear of that place. I know, but I feel now I'm going to do a deep dive into see if anybody has filmed uh, their visit to Santa's Village. I think I found one just to see what it like looked like and whatnot. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, so I was just going to give an overview of the of who we met. So we have we meet some people who are they basically like say that they're like weirdos who like found the king weirdo mm-hmm. uh, in Joe, Joe exotic. So, and we meet Eric Cowie, who's the head keeper at the zoo. He's the guy with the long hair that says that he oh, met. Yeah. 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 Can I tell you something? Yeah. I can't believe I'm admitting this. I don't know what it is. I find him incredibly sexy and I don't know why. Really? Yeah. And I don't know why. I will say, I don't know what it is too, but I will say I get the feel. I just feel so, I feel so much, not sorrow, but just empathy for him. Like, I just feel like I just, I hope that out of everybody in that, in the show, I hope that he mm-hmm. has, he has like a good life. Like, I just, I don't know why. You know, that's a very astute point, Lori. Thank you. While you were making it the whole time, I was thinking about how I bet you his semen tastes like coffee and tobacco. Do you think he drinks coffee? For some reason, I don't feel like he drinks coffee. Okay. That his semen tastes like meth and tobacco. I was going to say Red Bull and oh. tobacco. Oh, okay. Red Bull, but, meth, and tobacco. So he met, he found the GWZ and on Craigslist. I have this fantasy of being like this tiny, gross, like mobile home. Like, not even like a cool mobile home, like a gross, disgusting, dirty mobile home. Uh-huh. And he just throws me on the bed and it's just like doesn't even care who I am and just like fucks me silly and then spits on me as he walks out. Well He's like, I gotta go feed the tigers. Go to Santa's village. I feel like you'll find <laughs> you'll find what you want I there. Think it just fulfills sort of my carny fantasy. I don't know if you know this, but I have a fantasy with carnies. Oh, that a carny's gonna like have sex with you? Yeah, just like a carny is gonna see me like on the, like the on like the roller coaster or whatever, and be like, "Hey, come here. You want to go blow me while this ride's going on?" So uh, I could see him being a carny. Yeah. So that probably plays into that. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So he he finds it on Craigslist, which I just think is so insane to me that GW Zoo. Mm-hmm. Advertises on Craigslist. Yeah, why not? Like, hey, come, come feed around tigers. What's your problem with Craigslist, Lori? No, I just, I don't know. I just don't feel like it's where you find like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Sure. I don't feel like it's where you find the most amazing, uh, more qu- amazingly qualified people. Mm-hmm. But he seems to be doing great. I mean, he loves the job, and he seems to be working hard. Uh, John Rinky is the manager at the zoo he's the guy who has no legs and for no i don't understand why the see this is one of the issues i have with a documentarian is he at no point asks why do you have what looks like demented clowns painted on your prosthetic legs he's he would be on ink master your favorite show to have his prosthetic legs tattooed yeah have him tattooed yeah or have his arms tattooed as prosthetic arms they've done that before where they've had like an arm they make it look like a prosthetic arm. And it's like, that just is so dumb to me. Mm-hmm. 
But he's been working there for 14 years. Yeah. Uh, and then we meet Kelsey Saf- Safri, mm-hmm. who I found out later is uh, transgender and performs. He, doesn't he perform he, yes. him pronouns? Yes, he does. So he is an animal keeper who describes Joe as an entertainer by nature and the star of his own show. Mm-hmm. She also said that from nope. the start of the what? No. Oh, sorry. He also said mm-hmm. that from the start of the day to the end of the day, Joe filmed everything. Mm-hmm. And then this is also where we meet Kirk, Rick Kirkman, Kirkham, who was a sideline TV reporter who found who worked with GW Zoo and uh, basically said that he would help Joe produce his Joe Exotic TV show at JoeExoticTV.com. Mm-hmm. If he also got to produce, and we'll find out this later in another episode, but I'll just mention it now. He helped him produce this this exotic TV show. If he also also got to bring his own people and film a reality show, which you know it's so funny because you would think on the surface that this guy's a loser and a failure for thinking about that, because he wanted to be like the next Duck Dynasty. But the reality yeah. is, he was brilliant and he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. I bet I I mean I I still feel bad for him that all that stuff, you know, Mysterious, that we'll find out yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. So he said uh, the Joe Exotic TV aired every night at 6 and Rick Kirkham said that he did the broadcasts when he that that Joe had been doing the broadcast for a decade before Rick even joined and they only had about 80 followers. Yeah. And uh, the John Reed podcast what, sorry? Sounds like the bloody podcast. I mean, I would love if we could get 80 followers. <laughs> that would be... By the way, I uh, have advice for you on that. Okay. Yeah. I actually have questions for you about Patreon, because I have to launch our Patreon today. Oh, so. okay. Go ahead. But anyways, um, so John Rinky said that they did it that Joe did a show every night and about 90% of the show was about animal rights people and is specifically Carol Baskin. Mm-hmm. So then this is when we meet Carol Baskin and Your lover. she yeah, she is the CEO and founder of Big Cat Rescue, the world's largest accredited sanctuary for big cats mm-hmm. in Tampa, Florida. So I don't get a, they they don't really give like a exact uh, date, but basically sometime in 2006, Carol Baskin did an an interview for a newspaper where she talked about uh, private sale uh, Jews. What? Mm -hmm. Why was I going with that? She was talking about private sale Jews. Go ahead. Oh my God. That was weird. Carol Baskin was into the buying and selling of Jews. Go ahead, Lori. Oh my God. Um, she was saying, talking about private sale zoos, and she mentions GW Zoo. Mm-hmm. And so that presumably, Joe sees that and he goes irate. And that presumably is where the their feud starts in 2006 mm-hmm. because of this article. So Carol Baskin says that her life mod- motto is that you can only be good at one thing, and her thing is rescuing big cats. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't read or watch anything that doesn't have to do with big cats. Even the news. She knows nothing about anything. Yeah. Which uh, is insane to me. But I will say my grandfather's wife is almost the same way. She mean? is. Sorry, what? I said, what do you mean? She just cares about art. Like art and like um that's all. And so she doesn't know any pop culture references. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know anything. Like if you talk to her about anything, she has no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So she's hey, what has to do with art. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So, uh, we also, this is when we also meet Harold Baskin, who's Carol's husband. Mm-hmm. And he calls Carol, the mother Teresa of cats. Yes, but did you, did you, I mean, are we going to comment on anything that happened before or now? Or yeah. are you just going through this? Okay, go ahead. I do also love when she was doing the tour and she he, she goes, you're following me again. Yes, that's what I was going to talk about. And she goes, she goes do you want to read the names? She goes, yeah. yeah. I don't think, oh, God. Just, he's gonna be, he, she's like, next person I'm going to murder. Uh, she goes, do you want to be murdered? Her husband. So... We also learn a little bit in part, this is the end of part one, we learn a little bit about Carol's 
uh, as a child, when her first baby photo that she has of her as a baby is her next to a cat. Mm-hmm. And her when she was a kid, she had two imaginary friends who were white cats. Mm-hmm. Why gotta be white? Yeah. <laughs> Those are the jokes I'm making, Lori. She's also allergic to cats, mm-hmm. so she has no like. T- she only has tile in her house, and so that's got to be tough, though, to be so in love with something and then you're allergic to it. Yeah, because you hate cats, right? Now everyone knows this. You've told us this that you hate cats. I don't like cats. No, because, I'm very allergic. You're and allergic also, to them. Also, I don't like them, oh. but I'm also very allergic. So, okay. I can't imagine loving them and then being allergic. That would be awful. Mm-hmm. She mostly wears cat print, especially when she is talking to a legislature, because she finds that if she dresses this, like it's called, she's called it her uniform. So if she dresses like in all cat print, then the person she's meeting is going to be like, oh, this girl's serious about mm-hmm. cat rescue. Yeah. Which I feel like she's just going to be like, oh, this girl's a loon. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I would think that she, it, they show her standing in the Capitol Rotunda in D.C. and she yeah. looks like a crazy person. So, do you have any thoughts about part one? Anything I've said? Any any things that you wrote down? Or I did, but you know what? You give your thoughts because well, I'm gonna I want to hear them, but I left my notes in the other room. Oh, okay. So let me write down this timestamp here. So I might have overdone it because we're already at well, we've already been recording for thirty minutes, and we're not even to part two, and we have three more parts. So yeah, I don't want this to be more than forty five minutes. So I, I'm gonna we're gonna go clipping along after this, but yeah, just, yeah, I'll just uh, give my notes and that's fine. All right, here. What? We go. Sorry, I'm gonna give my notes. All right, we'll say at 32:40, I will give you the count off. Okay. Five, four, three, two. So, do you have anything else you want to say about part one? About anything I've said before? Um, okay, now I'm, I'm looking at my notes here. Oh, you know, they show a music video with this Joe Exotic. Yes. And again, this is me I read about later where one of the people who worked at the zoo said, like, you know, he doesn't sing those songs. It's like a band he hires and there's a singer in the band and everything. And then he just puts his name on it and sings them. And it's so obvious now that you know that that doesn't even sound like him. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 uh it's one of those things where I almost feel dumb thinking it was him to begin with mm-hmm. because when I went back and watched it I was like yeah that's totally not him. Uh no completely one hundred percent him. I guess my question is in the, in your part one have we gotten to the gift shop yet? No, okay. I'm getting then, that now. Then I've given you all my thoughts on part one. Okay. The, not just right now. Like I have notes, but I said them along the way. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna merge part two and part three together. Okay. Just so we can get through this. So part two is we go more in depth into Joe's childhood and sexuality. We meet his husband and his mentor Mm -hmm. and find out the amount of money it takes to keep an exotic pet zoo running. Yeah. In part three, we find out about Joe's brother and how that created a new career path for Joe. Mm -hmm. How Carol Baskin pushed back against Joe's new career path. And we learn more about Doc Antle's early years. Okay. So the first thing we're going to talk about is what you mentioned, the gift shop. Because I was also, I'm sure this is why you mentioned it. I didn't, I I guess maybe I wasn't paying attention so hard last time, but I don't remember all the crazy crap that he had for sale. I was like, what the hell? Do you think it was one of these things where when you're just a blank slate looking at this it's just so overwhelming that yes. just so many things miss you you just miss so many yes. things i'm sorry because you're like i what is going on in this because now that i know the entire big picture i can now focus on little things like yeah he was selling lube in his gift shop like like yes he was not even he was selling yeah sex gel mm-hmm. and uh, lawn and underwear yeah which he was- said is seller yeah and you know want to know something too is i go well look it's one of these things where if joe exotic were smart uh he would his people would keep selling this shit while he's in jail yeah. and yeah. i went online and the gift shop exists you can buy stuff now but i guess they weren't prepared for this at first really yeah they sold out and they, it's hard to find the gift shop because now the zoo is owned by somebody else yeah and so uh so they didn't have any access to it. They only had. They were selling old stuff that they had lying around, and I guess other people have been trying to sell things that they had. 
But uh, the gift shop, I think the gift shop's back up and running. But yeah, for a while they were like they were caught unawares. Well, I also love how he sells honey, barbecue yes. sauce, and <laughs> steak sauce. Three kinds of sauce, essentially. But that's, I think you touched on this in part one, is who are all these people who are going there? We've never heard yeah. of this place. And then going there, paying all this money, and then going like, I need to buy his underwear, his barbecue sauce, his honey, his sex gel. His skin cream. His album. His two, his two albums. His mm-hmm. first album was I Saw a Tiger. Yeah. And his second album was called Starstruck. Yeah. And then he also is selling two Holly, uh, two Hollywood magazines, which he's been on the cover of. Which I never even heard of Hollywood magazine. I vaguely know of Hollywood magazine simply because I used when I interned at UCB, I'd have to walk by this magazine store, mm-hmm. and they always have Hollywood magazine out. So that's the only I know it's a magazine. I just don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. but yeah. So then we meet John Finley, mm-hmm. who oh sorry, let me backtrack. I to your point of who's buying it, I legit think it's like it's for the appeal. It's for the story. Mm-hmm. So like you're like when you have friends over, you go, oh, let me get out my Tiger King barbecue sauce. And then people are like, what's Tiger King barbecue <laughs> barbecue sauce? And you're like, oh, let me tell you, <laughs> you know, I think that's why they do it. Well, so. but, but but I looking at the audience, they seem to buy in. It, it didn't seem like they were there ironically. Yeah, you don't think they were a hipster not, buying? Well, not all of them. I'm sure there were an ele- I'm sure there was an element of hipsters who went there, right? Yeah, but a lot they were of just genuinely. Them, yeah, they own. Like, which the- I don't know. That seems scarier to me of people who are genuinely like, I gotta get his honey. Like, <laughs> I gotta buy the honey. Yeah. And so he- okay, when we, we meet his husband, one of his husbands. Mm-hmm. Well, we, actually, John, all we know right now, he has one. All husband. we know. Yeah, all we know is that he has one husband. Mm-hmm. We meet John Finley, who, when we first see him, he's in the music video as the hunter who puts his gun down after seeing Tiger, which I love that that's the, that I love that music video because it's like absolutely no emotion. Mm-hmm. He's holding the gun and the Joe's like, put your guns down. And he just puts his gun down. It's just like, oh, the acting on John that. Finley in the, in the, in the whole, th- oh, that's the husband. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he met Joe a month after high school. A month and after they, high school. Yeah. I can't and they were together. That long. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he probably, you know, there was a legal battle. So, yeah. what, so is it, what is it with Joe's dating a, a, a guy a month out of high school? It's just, yeah, it's, I guess it's in the name. What is it with what is it with mega maniacal uh, Joes with uh, a, a, gay a need Joe. for co- gay Joe magicians with a constant need for attention and do live shows where eighty people show up that they need to date uh, someone who's a month out of high school? I you said it. I don't know. I think that's a question that maybe one of those Joes should think about. Uh, so they were together from two thousand three to two thousand fourteen. Uh-huh. And John says that Joe showed him how big his heart is, and then I feel like he pronounced butthole wrong. So. Oh, I thought, I thought they, were, they forget he forgot the word on. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. <laughs> so then we find out more about Joe's younger years. His real name is Joe Shreve Vogel. At thirteen is when he like really knew that he was gay. He mm-hmm. is when it, he. He says his father found out, so I don't know how his father found out, but I'm assuming he told him. Mm-hmm. But he said it made him shake. His father made him shake his hand in front of his mother and promise not to go to his funeral, which I think is some mental fucked up shit. Like it, that's it, crazy. It is, but it's also like son, it's like spits on his. That's my man spits on his hand and goes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Let's shake on it. I want you to swear right here in front of your mother that you're not going to go to my funeral. Yeah. And then mom's probably just like, guys, can we do this later? Mary Tyler Moore is on. Yeah. All right. I seen it. Good as gold. Yeah. Like, All what? right. Yeah. There I we go. That's go a binding contract. Yeah, that's a binding contract. Here in the South, that's a, that, in Oklahoma, that's a contract. So because of the family reaction and then his own struggles, he says that he one night he drove his car off a bridge. Mm-hmm. 
He broke his back and spent five years in braces. He moved to Florida at the time and to do therapy. And his neighbor was the manager of Lion Country Safari. And he would bring home all the baby lions and monkeys to bottle feed. And that's how Joe got, that's how Joe fell in love with, with uh, big cats. It's funny that you say that that was another element that I missed in my first time watching it. I was like, oh, that's how we got into it. And also, I don't know if you had this question, but I had this question, which is, are you allowed to bring home baby tigers and monkeys? Is that a thing you're allowed to? Like, I feel like he's the manager, Lori. I can't bring a safer home from work. Like, how can you bring a monkey home? He was a really he was a manager who was really into his job and he brought his work home with him. So now we meet Doc Antle. Yeah. And Doc Antle is uh, described by uh, Carol Baskin's husband, Harold Baskin's, as a smarter, more sophisticated Joe Exotic, Mm -hmm. which I I feel I agree with. In fact, I will even go one further. And I feel like Joe is trying to emulate Doc Antle. But the problem is, is that he is he just can't he can't get out of his own way. You know what I mean? Yes. Like you see it in Doc Doc Antle for all of everything. I do not like him, but for everything he is, he's very good at keeping the narrative on a certain track. Yeah. And Joe is not good at that at all. So no, Doc is definitely smarter. And like, it's so funny because in a weird kind of way, you can judge the documentary filmmaker because he does sort of mean things to his subjects. Like, for instance, yes. when he when we first meet Carol Baskin, he includes footage of her trying to ask where she should stand, which makes her look crazy, but is a yeah. legitimate question when you're being filmed. And the same thing with Doc Antle is Doc, like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And yes, it makes Doc seem, which he probably really is, a control freak, but Doc's also probably a little sharper than Carol and Joe and knows that this guy is going to, he has to control it because what this guy can do to him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He has him like go, he drives him up and then he has him go around the house and then he opens the door. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't really let them in his house unless he's, he's guiding the tour. Yeah. But also he's an animal trainer. Yeah. Essentially. So he's training them too. He's using those same strategies as an animals with them. So Doc is the director of the, uh, sorry, Bhagavan Doc Antle Mm -hmm. is the director of the Myrtle Beach Safari in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and the Rare Species Fund, which Mm -hmm. is 50 acres located in Myrtle Beach, California, South Carolina. Let me start Mm -hmm. that over. Go ahead, Lori. I believe in you. Bhagavan Doc Antle is the director of the Myrtle Beach Safari and the Rare Species Fund, which is 50 acres located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Doc Antle is also considered to be Joe Exotic's zoo mentor. Mm-hmm. So he claims, Doc Antle claims that they run their pricing call as dynamic pricing, which is basically how the airlines do it, which I didn't even realize is how airlines do it, but it makes sense, which is based off the price of how many people want to go that day. Mm-hmm. So the charges could be as low as $339 or as high as $655. Wow. Possibly more. And they charge that much because the overhead for taking care of the, the tigers is approximately $10,000 a year to feed each tiger. Mm-hmm. At uh, GW Zoo, it's about $3,000 a year. And then this is where he says that he has about over 227 tigers. Mm-hmm. So, and GWZ, in order to keep the prices low, they go, uh, they send their workers to feedlots and they get about five to seven cows per day that have died in the feedlots. And then Highway Patrol calls them if they ever have like big, big roadkill on the road mm-hmm. and they go pick that up. So, gross. so uh, we also find out about Joe's brother. Joe's brother was moving his sister. Mm-hmm. And in 1997, we find out that. His brother was struck by a drunk driver and killed. Mm-hmm. So Joe then started going to schools to talk to students about drugs and alcohol, but he found that the if he took his tigers, the students would pay more attention. Mm-hmm. Then he decided to do more with it because he felt like the tigers weren't enough. So he started doing magic shows, and he got help from an eighth grader named J.P. Wilson, mm-hmm. who he traded. He traded basically being able to pet tigers in 
uh, for help with magic. Mm-hmm. So the magic shows. Sorry, what? No, I'm just saying, uh huh. Oh. So the magic shows became so popular that he started touring malls with it. Mm-hmm. And this is also when he decided to change his name to Joe Exotic. Mm-hmm. And also, this is something that I found out. They even performed at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, well, who wouldn't want it? Could you imagine being at McDonald's and being like, and now Joe Exotic? <laughs> like, yeah. So, so then they started Max. doing... What, sorry? And then in your break, your Big Macs? Yeah. Oh, could you imagine just my family in mm-hmm. the corner, just fat, eating a Big Mac? Mm-hmm. Tigers. Ugh, that would be... I feel bad for the people already. Uh-huh. So, Joe started doing regular mall tours, and he basically... What would happen is he would take all of his staff and the animals and, and put them in a semi. Uh-huh. And he would put cages up in the mall and mm-hmm. and put baby tigers in them for parents to come and have their kids take pictures with the baby tigers. Mm-hmm. They would make between ten and forty thousand grand a day doing mall tours. Yeah, it was crazy. So the mall mall shows became so popular that Carol Baskin and her husband started a fund dedicating themselves to stopping it, and they hired a woman named Susan Bass for public relations. Mm-hmm. And what she would do is she would basically call the malls and say, please don't, bu- please don't hire Joe exotic. And they would even hire somebody to go to follow Joe exotic around and report to what mall he was going to next. Mm-hmm. So they could call that mall and stop them. So Carol and her husband, Howard were also sending emails and they said in the beginning, they would send about $500, $500, 500 emails a day to various malls and, uh, places that might have put Joe exotic up, but then they started getting more of a fan base. Mm-hmm. So then they started sending, being able to send five to 7,000 emails a day. Mm-hmm. And then this caused many malls to take notice and then basically put an end to Joe's tour, um, touring capacity. So, um, we also find out more about, uh, excuse me. We find out more about, Doc Antle, his, um, he was also a magician. <laughs> I know. Uh, by the way, I have to say this. Very hot when he was young. Very hot. Yeah. I was shocked by that. Yeah. You know what? I also think, though, I think it has a lot to do with his, his beard, his like weird beard that he has now. Mm-hmm. I feel like if he lost the beard, he'd still be kind of attractive. Does Doc Antle have a beard? He has like a goatee. Oh, he does? He's like a really weird goatee. So he was known as Marvelous Bhagavan, the Magic Man. Mm-hmm. And then we find out about him. And his young, I would love a documentary about Doc Antle. Yeah. He's so weird. He but said he, he was. let you have that kind of access that they did. Yeah, that's true. He said he grew up in a family of professional cowboys. Mm-hmm. And that allowed him to kind of had, live with exotic animals all his life. When he was uh, a little older, he moved to Yogaville in Buckingham, Virginia. And then he got into the movie business where he would help wrangle uh, animals. Mm-hmm. And he worked in f- over 500 movies, including Ace Ventura, Jungle Book, Dr. Doolittle, and Mighty Joe Young. Mm-hmm. So any thoughts on uh, the what I've said so far? Um, not really. Uh, you've hit the... Th- you've hit- the magic show. Um, the only thing I was going to say is, and that's actually the end of my notes, is, and I don't know if, 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 is there another part we have to get to or? Yeah. Oh, there is? Oh. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's everything for part two. Okay. That was, yeah, that was part two and that three. Part two. Oh, and three. So what, what, yeah. what do you mean there's another part? What's the other part? So we have two more parts. Oh my gosh, Lori! We have you know, in part. You know people can just watch the episode, right? Yes, I know, but I I see. Here's the thing: I this is my first time covering an episode, so now oh. I know that I did too much. <laughs> okay. So next time I'll back. I'll do a little less. So in part four, we learn about how much money baby tigers are worth and from what age, and what happens when you have to get to a point of no return when you own exotic pets. And then in part five, we meet Sheriff Rhodes, and he discusses some of his dealings with Joe Exotic. We also hear about the paranoia that Joe feels towards animal rights activists, especially Carol Baskin, and what he does about it. 
So we learned from Carol Baskin and basically Doc Antle, but I feel like Carol Baskin, I, I kind of trust her judgment on this, but basically a baby tiger is viable for a, ju- for a zoo from about uh, four weeks to about 12 weeks old. Mm-hmm. And it can make about a hundred thousand dollar profit for the zoo. Mm-hmm. And it's it. And then after that, it becomes a liability because then it can do some real damage. Mm-hmm. And basically Carol was saying that the only, that no, nothing's being done until it gets to the point where then something bad happens and then they have to backtrack and then they have to do something. Mm-hmm. And an example is that, is that is the incident in Zanesville, Ohio in 2011 where 50 wild animals were kept on a private farm and had been, been deliberately let loose by the owner. This include one by one baboon, three mountain lions, and eighteen tigers. Mm-hmm. So they essentially, the owner just was got sick of it. They didn't really explain, which I wish they would have explained more of what, how, why he let those animals go. Yeah, but he didn't really explain. But they just let let them go, and then the they had to shoot, essentially shoot and kill all those animals. Yeah, they were and, dangerous. Yeah. And this pushed Ohio law, um, lawmakers to enact laws restricting the ownership of exotic pets. Mm-hmm. And then that pushed Doc and Joe to go in, in, on interviews. And, of course, we see Doc Antle is very professional. And he's like, look, the problem wasn't that that he owned exotic pets. The problem was that he didn't provide proper care for the exotic pets. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I see is a very good counterpoint to what happened. Because, you know, Doc Antle's not having problems with tigers escaping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's not his fault. Now, Joe goes on and, and does an interview. Mm-hmm. And Joe says, which I think is hilarious, he says that the only problem he'll, that'll hap- that, uh, that he sees is that if anybody tries to come to a zoo and take his animals, because it will be a small Waco. Yeah. So... That's where Sheriff Rhodes comes in, and he basically says that he uh, stays awake at night thinking of what could possibly go wrong at the GW Zoo. Uh And he also says that he receives about 40 in the past eight years since he's known Joe, he's received about 40 to 50 police reports. Mm -hmm. Um, So, John, this is when John Rinke also did a suicide pact with Joe that said that the police ever showed up that they would kill each other. Mm-hmm. And Rinky was so serious about this that he engraved their names on the bullets they would use. And John Rinky is the guy that had the no legs and we threw them out. Had the no legs. Yeah. yeah. Who, would you, who would you think would shoot first in that scenario? Shoot themselves or shoot each other? No, I mean, they have to, sh- they said they would kill each other. Uh, oh, then Joe's killing him and then not killing himself. I think so too. Here's the only thing I see, because I feel like he doesn't want Ranky to do it. Mm-hmm. I think he would shoot Ranky, and then I think he would go, oh, I, I changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I for some, And I know this sounds terrible, but for some reason, I would believe if I was in a suicide pact with Ranky, I wouldn't want him to do it, because I would be afraid that he would fall off his... Oh, I'll <laughs> like fall off his would, legs? Yeah, he would trip or something would happen and he would lose his balance and then shoot me in the spleen or something. Or the vagina. (laughs) And then I'd be like, ow. Lori, it's been 55 minutes. Wrap this show up. Okay. So Doc Antle also says he sleeps with a loaded AK-47 under his mattress, Uh which can't be comfortable. So Joe says that that PETA also joined Carol Baskin Mm-hmm. And that since that's happened, they've had people nonstop coming to their zoo videotaping, which he claims that this caused him. So he's saying that because PETA is coming to the to the, his zoo to videotape and post online, he now has to have himself and two other members of his, his zoo be armed at all times. And he has to have 24 hour security. Yeah. I don't get that. Why? Why? They're not coming there to in to hurt anybody. They're just videotaping you. I don't. Peta's pretty extreme. I'm not. Peta is lie. pretty extreme, but they didn't mention any of any of the stuff. They just literally said that they were videotaping them. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe they cut some stuff out. Maybe they've done other stuff like that before. But I don't think but, that the cameras and everything were for 
because they felt in danger for their lives as much as it was they want to be there to protect themselves uh not because of physical danger but like they want to be able to shoot the PETA people oh i see okay yeah so then things come to a head because Carol Baskin then starts putting up billboards and she also has websites out showcasing Joe's uh, alleged abuse of animals, which John Ranke says that that never he never once saw any abuse of animals. Mm-hmm. She also becomes a big champion of what she calls the Big Cat Safety Act, which would essentially end privatized zoos, privately owned zoos. And this caused Joe to like really amp up his rhetoric. He sends a bunch of snakes to apparently allegedly sends a bunch of snakes to Carol Baskin's uh, residence, which I don't know how that would work. She said that she came out to her mailbox and her mailbox exploded with snakes. <laughs> I feel like that that's a that's elaborate. I actually, well, yeah. I first of all, I thought it was funny when he was going to mail her some snakes, and I wonder if she just saw the video and decided to say like uh, her her mailbox because. Wouldn't the postman go like, well, I guess someone just mailed her some snakes and we just stuff them in this mailbox? I don't know how you could do that because don't snakes still need to breathe? Like, don't they need oxygen? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Or wouldn't they have busted out that on their own? Yeah, they would have busted out. If they were starving, they would have burrowed out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. You would have had to have somebody put an elaborate device in there to, like, put the snakes in and then... Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So now we're at the end. Oh, thank God. And we're we're ending with the collect call from Joe where he's in prison and he yeah. says that he before he goes to jail, he's going to get put put uh bring everybody down with him. Which I didn't pick up on the first time I saw it. I didn't either. I was like whatever. But now I understand what that means in the context of the whole show. I think because you I think you hit a nail on the head. I think it's because we we're seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So much is coming at us that now that we know the overall story, we can mm-hmm. focus on tiny minute things. Yeah. But yeah, buy yourself some uh, Joe exotic sex cream, sex gel. Yeah. I wonder what it smelled like. Do you think it smelled like cinnamon? No, I think it smelled like coffee and tobacco. I wonder if there's people out there who are like, that sounds like sex to me. Well, you know what's so funny is I do want to get a, uh, there's a candle out there that's whiskey and tobacco. And I'm on that kind of, I bet you that would be a good, I, I, I'm one of those people that I love the smell of tobacco. I like the smell of tobacco too. I know people who make it disgust them. I actually like the smell of it. I will say that there is a, a different smell when you smoke it versus when you smell it when somebody else is smoking true, it. True, true. So I like the smell when somebody else is smoking it. Like, I like, actually, you don't smell it anymore, but in, like, the old, old days, you'd walk into, like, an old office building, and you could just smell it for seeping from the walls. And I remember liking that smell. I've always liked that smell. I remember, I don't know if you went with me, but I remember one time I did a show with some people at a cigar shop. Oh, really? And there were people who were literally like, I cannot breathe. And I was loving it. Yeah. I was like, this is the best smells i've ever smelled yes i'm the same way now on the flip side i cannot still stand the smell of smoking weed oh it smells like garbage to me weed is the worst smell but there are some people who, who love guys, it who yeah they, they pick up like the the woodsy floral scents you know what i'm saying so yeah to them it smells like a campfire which if it smelled like a campfire i would love it but to me it smells like you're burning garbage it smells like you're burning a, ba- a baby's wet diaper yes Yes. And there's and then also like by that there's a dead person. Yes. Like that's awful. what it smells like. Yeah, it smells awful. I agree with you on that. Yeah, we're in we're in agreement there. All right, so Lori, what are we up to sub? What what's going on? I love you. You're, so that, the, you're the show lead. Wrap it up. Uh no, so that's it. That's it for episode season one, episode one of Cuckoo Bananas. Well, before the Tiger you go, recap be, show. Before you go. Oh yeah, sure. Before I, I end end the show. Yeah. Before you end the show, wouldn't you... Uh, this is my take, is... I remember when I first watched it, when the episode ended, I was like, I have to watch the next episode now. Now, the second time, I'm like, meh. It didn't yeah. seem like that much of a a big cliffhanger to me, where I remember the first time going like, oh, I can't... I have to watch episode two now. 
Well, I'll actually, I would say I was in reverse because I felt like this, the first episode, I felt like I don't feel you feel like real. when I remember when I watched it the first time, I don't feel like the first episode mm. really gave me a cliffhanger to where I was like, oh, I wonder what happens to the second episode. Yeah. I never really felt that. And now that I know what happens, I'm like, oh, I'll go to the next episode just to see how the two jump off, you know, how the second episode jumps off the first yeah. episode. Yeah. But I never was like, I watched it just so I could say that I watched it. But I never was like, oh, this is, you know, it's the, oh, I, I can't wait for the second episode. Yeah. So. No, no, no. I, I had the opposite thing where I was like, ah, you know, I think I, I had to control myself from consuming the whole thing in a day. I think or, I watched the whole thing over like I a weekend. I, I think I watched it over a weekend as well. So. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Lori. You're, even you're, you're welcome. You're I'm sorry, no, you're welcome, Lori, for thanking me. Oh, okay. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, uh, we will end this podcast by saying you're welcome, Humble. Yeah, seriously, Humble. <laughs>